Are you sitting comfortably? Good. Then we'll begin. We shall be as a city upon a hill. The eyes of all people are upon us. They can tell us we're crazy, and we can say, well, you haven't seen anything yet. Our society is complex, and we teach our students that they could just fix it. Go fix a military helicopter and see how far you get with that. Kira, mate, do you want to give yourself an introduction and then we can we can get going? I'll probably get you to repeat some of the stuff you told me like the other day, just for continuity's mm. sake. Of course, yeah. So I'm my name is Kieran Coleman. Um, I'm the hypnotherapist from Thatcher's Therapy Practice, hypnotherapist and mind coach, and I am located in Leash. I've been doing this for just under a year now, practicing with my business, but I've been studying it for maybe the last couple of years. Um, I'm 22 years old and. I think that's about it. Yeah, that's pretty good, man. And um, listen, you said it was your uncle that got you involved in this. Like, I'm yeah, for like just for people listening, like I'm trying to piece together like how one goes from you know <laughs> like the the secondary school system in Ireland to somehow mm. becoming like a, a hypnotherapist. Mm. So yeah, I mean, I was never the best in school. Um, like myself, I was down to not being so bright, and at the same time, not. Um, not wanting to regurgitate information or that's how I put it at the time, you know, mm. had a, had a bias against the school system, but that meant then that I needed to go and do a PLC because I was one of those people that decided, Oh, I don't need a third language to only then find out that universities would like if you would study the third language. <laughs> so I had studied journalism and PR in rap minds in Dublin uh great place honestly it was a it's a fa- fantastic place with great very good great reviews, lectures yeah. um and then after that i was able to get into minute university to which i then studied uh media and new media studies and along with sociology and anthropology to kind of study of people which was all right um media wasn't really what i had first thought it would be i was lucky enough to study some things some modules in journalism such as uh, media analysis which are very very interesting for anybody that likes media um, but when I'd reached the university it wasn't what I had thought it was and sociology wasn't even really what I thought it was um, so it kind of led then to me being less interested in it than what I was whilst in rap minds which led to me spending way too much time drinking and partying and doing all of the other vices that everybody loves to do when they when they leave home and go to college. Um, which then in turn meant that I wasn't really able to <laughs> put forward any sort of work that the teachers and the module coordinators wanted you to put into it. So I was given this ultimatum after my first year there. And after the first year there, I'd kind of... I'd, I'd really put myself into a bad way with alcohol and I, I hadn't a job. So like I kind of got them things sorted and kind of got them under a bit of a manageable hand. Uh, they weren't completely eradicated, but I was working and I had my relationship with alcohol kind of on the mend. Um, to which I was given an ultimatum of doing, I can't remember, remember whether it's five or six assignments, but it's a couple of assignments in a two week period. And in which I barely, barely slept, barely ate, and was just drinking an inordinate amount of coffee during that two-week period. Uh, it ended with me going to the course coordinator for media with the assignments and telling me to come back uh, after some of the other course coordinators or lecturers had read over the assignments to kind of get their get their opinion whether or not I'm worth it to be able to be kept in the new university. But... Uh, I arrived back and I was told really that one of the lectures didn't like one of my assignments, so that was it. And that was a big kind of you know, kick or slap in the face, or not really necessarily a slap in the face. If anybody, I was slapping my own face really, but uh, it was a wake up call, a big wake up call. So like, so I know I, know I said this uh, to you before, but like, uh-huh. there was no kind of like recourse for that. It was just you didn't do one that was up to scratch and. You know, we told you so. See ya. Oh yeah, yeah. Like, like it was very. In all fairness, um, if I were him as well, I would have done the exact same. Um, he didn't really know me. He had actually never had me for a, a student, even though I wanted to 
for anybody that's gone to Minute University or studied media studies, he's the guy that looks like a Portuguese Jimmy Carr. Um, really nice bloke. But if I were him, I would have done it the exact same way. You know, like, I don't want to be emotionally invested in this. This guy obviously has been told all of this before. Maybe this action or this experience will get him to, I don't know, buckle up. And it, it certainly did, you know? Yeah. It's funny how you look at those things now and it's like you just try and flip the script and you're like, ah, oh, I needed that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's the favorable way to look back at it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so you have to just like, what, trying to scram these five or six essays together. You've done it. And then one one is just not up to par and you're like axed from a new university. Mm, yeah. yeah right. And in all fairness, like the way in which I was living doing them, I'd say maybe majority weren't up to par. It's just that maybe I had a, new, a few lecturers that liked me That's but um yeah i mean realistically i deserved that and that meant then that i needed to reevaluate things and it wasn't then about me reevaluating the external you know there's no point in me going over the assignments again and saying like oh you could have said this or you could have said that you know yeah it was there was a long list of things that led to this point and it wasn't just the way in which you did them assignments so what I thought anyways was that I needed to have a really hard look at myself and how I believe things and I knew I had certain prejudices and and uh, my relationship with maybe alcohol was up to kind of something as well so I needed to have a look at that and why that was the cause or why it was the case and it was just a, a, a bout of self-reflection you know um which then caused me to engage in two of the practices in which I am a big, uh, big fond uh, of now, meditation and journaling, because they kind of helped me. And they didn't help me in the la di sense of, you know, got me to actualize my real self. But the reason as to why I, I mentioned it was because there's stages to it, you know, like if you're somebody that is well-versed in self-help and um, kind of some uh, shadow work and things like that, then yeah, you can jump into it from that point. Or you could be like me, who was this awful timekeeper who had all these things that they wanted to be able to do, but couldn't schedule anything at all. And they could begin their day by scheduling, you know, they could begin an actual routine, you know, that you could actually work your day around bettering yourself so that you aren't this lazy um, kind of slob that has no direction in the afternoon, you know, you right. need to be able to have some sort of routine that motivates you and keeps you loving yourself so that you're able to then go and face the next thing that you want to be able to overcome. And that was kind of the first initial stages of me understanding what I wanted to be able to do. So after that, then it was um, a case of working on myself and understanding that I needed then to pick up a skill or, or a trade in order to, you know, not starve to death. Well, did you know, how, how, like, how did you get turned on to like, I know like generally when we go through things now in society, self-help is something that's like greatly pushed on people, whether it be in the pseudo sense or like, you know, the kind of more, uh, scientifically based sense how did you kind of go from you know someone tells you you have to get out of college to okay now i need to start journaling and now i need to start like scheduling things and you know becoming better at life in general yeah um like it just it was a click like that you know what i mean you have to think like ah oh. mm. you have a good you go through a period of saying like the whole world is against me before you like get to mm-hmm. the point where you're like ah maybe it's not yeah there's definitely like a sense of victimhood when you're shattered like that. Yeah. I mean, you want to be able to place the blame on any which place but you, you know? That yeah. didn't really last too long for me. Um, what I think it was down to, I don't know uh, why I was able to react in the way in which I reacted. Um, it was a long road, you know, like, but the way in which I think why that occurred is because of. I was like I've always been kind of, kind of a competitive and disagreeable person, uh, personality wise. Like so, like right. you know, pre-COVID, uh, being in a sauna or being on a on a treadmill or something like that, yeah. and not wanting to get off or not wanting to leave the sauna until the guy that came in before you or after you leaves. Yeah, it's just sort of like a mental thing, but yeah, I understand how it can be beneficial to me. So in times like that, it's. I can either use 
Manute University as, oh no, they they did this to me and they did that and oh, I didn't deserve this. Or I can look at it and say, right, well, okay, so that's Manute University, that's that effed up and how can I use this to my advantage, you know? And it was, um, I think it was maybe three or four years later then that I was given a talk for three weeks in Manute University. So that was sort of my... Um, that was sort of my fuel, I suppose, you know, to be able to prove these imaginary people wrong in my head. But that that's sort of uh, how I was able to motivate myself, you know? Yeah, no, I get it, man. I mean, like, how how did you get to give a talk back in Manute University? Like, what was it on? How did you get to that point from, like, you know, as mm. being, like, axed to coming back and dropping some knowledge on people? It was, I believe it was just after, or not long after I had finished my course in becoming a hypnotherapist and mind coach. And at the time, the um, the president of the student union or education, I think it was Michael, uh, Michael's listening, Michael. Uh, I knew him. Uh, we'd known each other a, a bit. So one time I actually said it to him out front, just Michael, look, I'd love if I were able to give a talk uh, around mental health and around things like this, because well, I, I'd been through it. I know I'd literally been through it in yeah. that exact university, you know? Yeah. Um, so he said, you think about it or whatever. And then I got a, a text from one day saying I'd like to talk about it. So we met up in the square and we had a, a, a long chat about it. And then there was the, um, you know, the preliminary period beforehand where you have to sort out all these things and sorry, your invoice and how you're going to get paid and how much and all this. But then it was a three week period over, um, it was over mental health. So they had different people come in each week and I had a three week block mm. afterwards. And that was, um, I mean, that was, that was a really nice moment, you know? Yeah. It's like things have come full circle almost. Almost. <laughs> so again, um, so you told me the last time that the hypnotherapy, like your uncle kind of exposed you to this. Mm. Yeah. So my uncle was living in Australia at the time and I knew that he had been a hypnotherapist and uh, we chatted a little bit before. I remember chatting to him initially when uh, I was staying up to watch the first Trump election. <laughs> um, I remember having a conversation with him that night, and yeah, uh, that was interesting. But no, when I was deciding what to do with myself and deciding what path I wanted to go down towards helping people, I wanted to understand hypnotherapy or hypnosis mm -hmm. because it was because I, I dealt with a lot of my prejudices and a lot of my kind of conditioned responses to, to things. So I was like, all right. And I was still skeptical as, yeah. uh, as hell about it. So I wanted to understand it. So we started talking about it and, uh, in, in different ways. So like understood it in a very basic sense initially. And then in order to confirm it to myself or for me to be able to believe it, I went down other avenues of it of like, okay, well, what does it work best on? Or, okay, well, if you look into the scientific studies or if you look at case studies that were done by some of the more famous people, such as like Milton Erickson or things like that, or Ernest Rossi, like they're very interesting to be able to read how things like NLP or neuro linguistic programming can be used in a therapeutic session. Mm. It's a, so that was, that was sort of confirming it for myself and getting to understand it. And then like kind of looking at it in another way of, okay, well, what happens, you know, on a physiological level? And that's still a, a fairly hard question to answer. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So your uncle just kind of turn you on to all these like ideas and stuff. And then, you you were like oh this sounds like something for me so you go back and where do you where do you become like a certified hypnotherapist in Ireland? Okay, so as far as I know, it was now this may be not the only one, but as far as I know, it happens at Marino College. Um, my mentor or practitioner or master that taught me hypnotherapy is named Susan Wallace. Um, very very uh, interesting lady, mm. very nice, very funny. But uh, she taught me how to be a hypnotherapist in Marino. It was um, it was interesting. I think I was the youngest person there by a, a large amount. Um, quite daunting to be around kind of uh, psychotherapists and other people way more qualified than me. Yeah. But um, 
it was interesting because a large, a large amount of us didn't understand uh, the stages of hypnotherapy either. So it was nice to have that in my head that these people who have their qualifications and such are still at the same level of understanding as me. So yeah, you didn't feel too out of place, like <laughs> no, <laughs> that's fair. And when when you're learning about hypnosis and how to become mm. like a like a clinical hypnotherapist. How, how do you learn to like what, what's the first step in terms of like hypnotizing someone like because that's always like been really weird to me like the idea that someone can just like put you in a state that's different to like your your base level you know that that just freaks yeah. me out sometimes so i mean in hypnotherapy i believe it's called the induction phase right uh so where you induce trance but the first thing in which you want to be able to establish is rapport if we don't have rapport, then that's, it's all out the window, you know, like you'll close your eyes and you'll be listening to everything I say, but you won't be in a different state of mind. Yeah. Um, you need to have good rapport. You need to be in the right setting. Now, th- these aren't prerequisites. You don't necessarily need to be in a therapy room with dimly lit lights. And I don't need to speak in a very soft tone, but it helps. Right. Okay. Um, but the first thing maybe that you want to do in order to get somebody to go into that state of mind is to establish eye fixation. So that's why you see things like a uh, Chevrolet's pendulum, which is the clock watch, you know, like that's why you see people yeah, yeah. do that because it's not important that you're looking at the watch or it's not important that like you're doing any of this. It's important that your eyes are at this angle. So it's generally like a 45 degree angle from where you are. So even if you look at stage hypnosis where they get people who are a whole lot more susceptible to suggestion, um, you'll generally see that they'll be sitting down, they'll get them to slip down at first. But even if they're standing, what they'll do is they'll put their hands above here, you know, and then they'll but it's just uh, establishing an eye fixation the same way that you'd establish it as a child looking out the window in, in school or something like that daydreaming or daydreaming now if you're able to still do that um so it matters it, where your eyes are yeah why uh it's like if because it's a physical stimuli so you want to be able to like other say like uh hallucinogenic drugs for example they overload the stimuli within your brain, which causes these different perceptions. Uh, Whereas hypnotherapy minimizes, hence the dimly lit room and the soft spoken, because the idea is that, and obviously if you watch something like watch a flame for um, an extended amount of time, you'll feel that your eyes want to be able to jump away from it because it's flickering, you know? Well, if you were to stare at a pint of the wall, and this is what I get clients to do with me, is to stare at a pint of the wall because I don't do any of the... Chevrolet's pendulum or, or any of that stuff i uh i get them to stare at a wall or i get them to stare at their hands and i get them to basically hypnotize themselves um king of outsourcing. sorry i said king of outsourcing get them to hypnotize themselves <laughs> well look if if you get down to the crux of it all hypnosis is self-hypnosis um i'm basically the guide i know i'm 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 kind of walking you through. I'm the one who will cause you to be able to see such vivid imagery or to be able to picture this scenario or smell something or touch something, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but the reason as to why you want to be able to just do that beforehand is because it makes it a whole lot easier. Like I, I joke with clients when I'm talking to hypnotherapy initially, introducing them to it and saying that it's just two reasons, you know, I want you to be able to close your eyes and I'll ask you to do this at some certain point, you know, and you may not remember it or whatever. First is you want to eliminate any kind of stimuli that may distract you. So that's just any physical stimuli that you can right. look around at. Second of all, I don't want to be looking at you when your eyes are wide awake and, <laughs> and you're, you're kind of looking at me. Mm-hmm. But no, um, there's also kind of a third reason. So like if you get somebody to close their eyes and look, everybody's going to close their eyes at some point. One of the physical cues that you can tell that somebody goes into that trance-like state, which is quite helpful on the, the therapist's point, is uh, rapid eye movement. So you'll see eyes flicker. And that's mm-hmm. when you'll know that you kind of have somebody in trance um, giving away tricks to the trade. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's the that's the kind of first stage of it. Mm-hmm. So, and, but I know there's other ways because I've seen people like, um, what's that English guy's name? Who am I thinking of feeling the magician? It's not David Blaine, but the other one. Um, Darren Brown. Darren Brown. I know he had a show on, I can't remember what network it was, but it was basically where they'd hypnotize someone 
and then they'd cr- create this scenario around them that was almost like a reality where like say there was different episodes where one was he could he land a plane or you know could he kill someone or whatever oh yeah, yeah 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 with like Stephen fry or something something like that and they just put him in all these different scenarios and i'm just kind of wondering like there's different ways that i've seen like there's people like doing the handshake method i know that's one and where they like just touch you on the shoulder and like you were saying with stage hypnosis where they just kind of like put their their hand up here and then just go like that like what's the crack with those is because i so far as i know it like disrupts the way we think to a certain degree so that like it makes more easily or more uh trans is more easily initiated i suppose is a word for it but Mm. like what's the story with that 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 always confused me because i don't want someone to like walk up in the street and just like shake my hand and all of a sudden like I'm living on the floor, <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, it's a very interesting phenomena. Um, and like all phenomena to become less interesting the more you explain them, but right. say with the handshake, as you said, it is exactly what you said, you're disrupting a habitual pattern. Mm-hmm. And that's why then it's much more easily, uh, you're much more easily susceptible to somebody's suggestion. Now that, that, sentence there is very important because in any sort of psychotherapeutic or any sort of therapeutic session there is that underlying thing that isn't said about well maybe not from the therapist standpoint but from the client standpoint or the patient standpoint that they want to do what the hypnotherapist or the therapist or psychotherapist or counselor wants them to say or wants them to do right so when you are in a stage hypnosis session say for example and I haven't seen many of these, um, but you want to go into trance. You wouldn't be up there, otherwise you don't want to go into trance. Now, there will be the, the few that say, like, oh, you can't hypnotize me, but he will figure that out. He will figure that out by physical cues. He will know how susceptible to suggestion you are. Right. Um, there's things called, uh, oh, what are they called? Like relaxation tests or something like that. But um, there's things that about, like where, where people walk in and it's like if they're nodding and agreeing and saying yes all the time like you know mm. that they're they're like you know respecting your position of authority almost so yeah they're... well they're very agreeable people right. uh their their personality would point towards that and that would mean then that they would want to please you you know and um that's why you see a lot of that but the funny thing about it is you can't necessarily say physiologically what happens in that split second because right, there's okay. a person that's conscious then and then they're in this uh, meditative trance or how I, how I think about it but it is down to disrupting that habitual pattern uh, that's why it can happen like that and how likely somebody is because if somebody figures that you're in a position of authority as well yeah that is a very powerful thing that can that can change or just uh, how you would perceive uh, to react in a situation or how you would want to react in a situation mm. so when it comes to like your your practicing what was like the first kind of client you had like how did that go because i can't imagine like being fresh off the bat you're just kind of sitting there like <laughs> palms are sweaty just trying to like figure out how you're going to get someone to go into trance and help them yeah i mean i was lucky at the time i was living in minute living in minute for a couple of years mm. and i had to do case studies as part of my study so i can't remember how many i did now but it was uh, maybe six to twelve uh friends of mine mm all actually kind of came to us and I like obviously I, I offered first and there was the people that are like no not hope <laughs> and then there was yeah. people like oh yeah 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 I'd like to like one of the things that I um was it like one of the things that I was quite successful at in the beginning was uh smoking cessation or getting people to be able to give up smoking which was yeah. quite interesting uh amongst a friend group that were majority working in pubs and <laughs> in the age bracket between 20 to 30 um uh, I mean, there was a couple of people. Um, one of my friends, who's a, who's quite an interesting guy as well. I mean, we he we had a session together where during it, like sometimes you get somebody to do something during the, the trance, and you'll ask them this beforehand. So, like, are you comfortable speaking? Would be one if we were doing parts therapy or integration therapy, um, or if I were to like at times I can touch your shoulder or touch your head or touch your leg and to be able to invoke an emotional response or maybe a greater sense of relaxation. So you'll ask this beforehand, are you comfortable with this? And obviously not a lot of that is happening now with COVID, you know, yeah. but I was asking him, would he mind speaking? You know, he said, yeah, yeah, of course. 
And if you're in transit, it won't necessarily take you out of it because it's already there in your head. Mm-hmm. So one of the things in which I asked him to do was to open up his eyes and, and make a promise to me and shake my hand. And I, I do something similar with smoking as well. Um, but after we shook hands, like he would lie back. And initially I did all my uh, sessions with people lying down where I get them to sit down now. But he lied back down and he didn't close his eyes again. So for the rest of the session, I was, you know, talking. And the entire time I was, I was so, I imagine I was so red in the face or I was so flushed because I was just like, oh, no. I've completely ruined it now. I've completely ruined it. He is awake, he's conscious, and he's just lying there. Yeah. So I asked him afterwards, you know, like, why didn't you close your eyes? And he was like, I never, I never opened my eyes. I am about What? And I was like, Outrageous. ooh. <laughs> oh, that's so weird. Yeah, that was, that was definitely an interesting one. So there's been things like that as well. So that's, that's really interesting to me or, or to, um, to look into more like maybe the symbol or imagery in which mm. people see sometimes when they're in a serene place or a place of their own imagination that can be really interesting too yeah because you were talking a lot about that the last time it's like the, the place in which you put people it it means something like in terms of like say the the setting is almost an archetype for the feeling that the person is feeling or the emotion that you want to evoke is that, is that right yeah i mean yeah um that's interesting so like I hadn't thought of that before, but... But, like, say if you're in a school, like, we all have that dream where we're in a school and we have to give our, our presentation and all of a sudden we have no clothes on. It's like, we all we all know <laughs> that, right? But it's like, because, again, I'm I'm giving bro science 101 here. I have no idea what I'm on about. <laughs> but you'd almost say that that's because it's like, you know, you have this this um past you, this past version of yourself that, like, you know, you, it's the child in you. It's your inner child that you're trying to, like, look after and you feel like it's exposed or something like that. I don't know. But it's like we all know we all know that that's a past us that that that's kind of like generally accepted that's what that means mm. you know or it's a part that you need to be able to get better at right yeah 100 you know? because we got a school to learn but when it comes to like you know you're saying you get people to go into a forest or something like that to try and mm. explore you know um to you know whatever it is find out something that they need to find out so where yeah. does it matter where you put people or what what do people generally see when they're under do they say so well I mean, it depends on person to person, right? So right. this kind of goes back to the idea that um, all hypnosis is basically self-hypnosis. And what I mean by that is how vivid or how how much you lose yourself in the experience is completely up to you. Right, okay. If you don't ask the questions that you have before we do this, and I ask everybody to just lay them out in front of them, then you're not going to have a good experience. Well, like you might have a, a, a nice relaxing experience, but you won't have the experience in which you were expecting. So that's why I place a lot of emphasis on rapport because I need to know you. I need to know your likes. I need to know your dislikes. I need to know your aspirations. I need to know what you want to be able to evade. You know, I want to know what in the past has made you like this. So there's the interesting thing about the situation or where I place somebody, you know, or where they go into. Now, majority of the time, it is actually a place of drone choosing and it's stereotypically like beside a lake and right in front of them or away from them, there is this big massive mountain in which they can see. And you can look at that as maybe that the, the, the lake is very calm usually. So they want their mind to be very calm and there's a mountain in front of them or something that they need to be able to overcome, you know, or there's a goal in which they want to be able to achieve but say for people that want to be able to deal with something or to face a fear it's generally like i say forest so like that's the classic um knights of the round table thing where each each knight goes into the forest of where they think it's darkest mm-hmm. um but say if like i had a client that was a child who was really into folklore and myths and stories and loved all these things. Well, then, then I'd I'd go completely stereotypical or archetypal and, and right. put them in the the belly of the beast or, or fighting a dragon, you know, yeah. because they will they will have that experience. That will be a whole lot closer to them than it is to what I like, you know. So 
as as the guy, they need to be able to place them in a in a place that, that fits. You know, right. if uh, if I put them in a place that they can't imagine, then I'm only going to strain them. That makes sense. that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, no, hundred percent. And um, so most people come to you for like something like habitual, like smoking or something, is it? Not as much smoking as I would have expected within the first year, but yeah, um, like a majority would be anxiety and depression um weight loss then maybe third and then there's like phobias fears and things like this but how would you go about trying to treating someone with depression and anxiety Mm. i'd imagine anxiety is probably easier to deal with than depression because with anxiety it's like you have you have to get over something so it's like you need like i don't i don't again completely talking out my whole here <laughs> but like a post-hypnotic suggestion where it's like you know every time you walk in you're going to feel like the most common person in the room where everyone's naked or something like that like where it's just a case of trying to flip the script for that person whereas depression i'd imagine that'd be a lot more difficult yeah so one thing in which i've said to most people that kind of come to me for anxiety and depression is that hypnosis or hypnotherapy is generally best utilized with another form of therapy sure. or with say maybe the uh, anti-anxiety drugs that you may be taking or, or antidepressants that you may be taking it isn't best used solely for something and i tell people that you know because i'm very goal oriented sure um so say for depression you want to be able to look at where they are lacking in life you know where they are not meeting up their own standards so you need then to put in perspective what you need to be able to aspire towards what you need to be able to aspire towards that is within your own capabilities, right? Mm. So that might mean then that you're very anxious, uh, you're going through a bout of depression and you don't have a job and it's COVID. So maybe the first thing that you need to be able to do is to look at yourself, to situate yourself outside of your own body. This is actually like um, a stoic thing, the idea of looking at that from the view top, to look at yourself from the view top out of the house and to zoom out out. and your state and zoom out but to be able to objectively look at yourself and say right well okay what is the reason okay well can i get a job you know that's probably the best thing that you can ask right there and it's like well no why not you know Mm -hmm. is it the fact that maybe i'm less educated than other people going for this job is it the fact that i don't have the necessary skills or trade well okay what can we do in the meantime right so what's causing you a lot of stress at this moment in time? Okay, well, I don't know whether I'm able to pay my bills. Right, we'll get you onto the unemployment payment. Have you been set up for that? You know, now this is just completely uh, hypothetical at this moment in time, but for anybody listening, hopefully it can help. Like, but you need to be able to take care of yourself first. You are number one, right? Mm-hmm. First of all. So you need to be able to set yourself up as best as you can to be able to achieve what you are lacking. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean then that you need to ignore others or to... Um, to be selfish it just means that you need to be able to take more care of yourself in this time because what will realistically happen then afterwards is because of the interdependence of all things people will be better because you are better around them you know right yeah couldn't agree more 100 uh so yeah i would uh in this in that kind of sense what i do is to understand where they are lacking within depression uh and try to help them to be able to achieve that and hopefully that can help them on the course to being able to manage this low mood and what, um, do, you, what do you do like when when you bring say put someone in, a, in trance when like in, in a session like that where they're depressed do you like get them to walk through somewhere or tell you something or try and tell themselves something like what, what's the port of call for that it's it's a it's dependent on hmm. what's kind of going on in their lives now within most hypnotherapeutic programs or say like somebody is down for three sessions or somebody down is down for six sessions or something like this it they all will generally have this uh confidence booster or ego strengthening script that is used um because you want to be able to raise this person's level of self-esteem because Mm -hmm. they know themselves that their self-esteem is poor because they're not you know they wouldn't be depressed otherwise Right. So they yeah. want to be able to be better, but they know themselves that they're not getting to the point in which they want to be at. So it's useful to be able to use a self-esteem or a confidence booster script early on in order for them to take care of what needs to be taken care of, such as eating at the same times each day, making sure that you're getting enough sleep and that you're taking care of yourself in general. 
Um, I'm very big on rituals initially, especially for those with high levels of anxiety or low mood, because people underestimate in this day and age how integral they are to not only your physical health, but mental health. Yeah, 100 percent, because like the foundation for every day, like if you're just letting chaos just consume your whole life, then you're not really going to get anywhere. Everything's going to be paralyzing to you because you can't make a decision quick enough or whatever the case is like me personally horrible at making decisions i try and remove as many decisions from my life as i can so my life mm. is quite routine you know what i mean mm. and uh, i like it that way but uh mm. there's you can get too much of that too i think like i'm not oh, obviously yeah. like not not in this instance when you're dealing with people like that they kind of need like you know a structure because other than that they're just waking up at like 3 p.m every day after staying up till 5 a.m whatever the case is because they feel no. the way they feel no, yeah, that can happen as well. But it's it's important to remember as well that if you are depressed, you generally are going to need more sleep. You know, you generally are going to probably be sleeping for 10 hours or 11 hours mm. or so. Um, but it's interesting kind of what you said there about predetermining kind of where you want to be, say, in the morning or something like that. So it's something that I say to people that, like, okay, well, we're talking about your routine, first of all, and well, what's the first thing that you do each day? Okay, well, I rush down to, you know, uh, get the kids ready and to make sure then that I can leave. And it's like, okay, well, what do you do for yourself? And it's like, oh, I, I shower, you know, before I leave my room. And it's like, right. okay. I mean, like, I'm not saying that you need to be able to meditate, journal, visualize all these things with like two children or something like that. Like yeah. sometimes it's not, it's not uh, feasible. Right. But say you are too rushed and in a hurried state in the morning, that is going to be how your brain then perceives the rest of the day. So why not, you know, wake up 10 minutes earlier Mm. to be able to put yourself in a more calm and relaxed state? It'll help everything in which you do and everybody in which you interact with. Um, To be able to just kind of step away from yourself and to look at yourself as sort of a cog (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and to um, look at it and say okay well how well am i performing right you know so you're, the idea of watching yourself is quite interesting actually i think it works as well you just have to remember to do it because like a lot of the time we just get like swept away with like the way life is and how it runs on and we can forget very easily to just take a step back and kind of say oh like you might not realize it but now it's 5 p.m you remember waking up and like suddenly you're here only taking now to look back and say ah today was like full full of things that i did that i just seemed to do on autopilot mm. you know what i mean it's, yeah it's, weird. it's like um, if something isn't going right for you you know like if if you are in that rushed, hurried state each morning and it's going to affect your work, obviously not realistically now when you just need to be able to roll over in the bed and turn open your laptop and there mm-hmm. you go, you're in work. But if it is affecting maybe your intimate relationship in some way, maybe it's affecting your job, maybe it's affecting your kind of social life or something like this. If you don't kind of notice it, and I, I say this quite a bit, like noticing being the richest part of learning because it gives you the opportunity then to be able to change how you want to be able to react to it. Mm. If you don't notice it, it's going to come back with a vengeance. Yeah. It's right. going to cause you some inordinate amount of suffering later on if you don't reconcile with it. You know, if you don't get over maybe the fear of being able to engage with it or even bring it to your own attention so it's like what what gets measured gets managed kind of is what you're saying yeah it's a good way of putting it yeah yeah and it's like i think that's where journaling can help a lot because i'm not an avid journaler i mean i do it i try to do it i try to remember to do it but then i forget to do it sometimes you know what i mean but it helps to slow down time i think is is a good way of looking at it because it's only when you read back on it as opposed to just being like, you know, you know, when you feel like the days just kind of are, are on top of each other and you don't know what day it is that can happen over Christmas where we haven't mm. like, any time off. But I feel like if you have a journal and you're writing down, say like the most story worthy thing in your day or the most something that stood out to you during your day, it doesn't have to be like, you know, a whole like, here are my intentions. Here's what happened. Here's my morning thoughts, my evening thoughts. And like, it can just be whatever you want to put pen to paper with like that. That can be something that gives you a leg to stand on in terms of slowing down time, getting a hold of everything around you and just proceeding from there. It doesn't have to be like, you don't know what day it is. The days are all piling on top of each other and the world's coming in around you. Like, I think, mm-hmm. I think it, it's a really good practice to try and get into. What yeah, would you, I um, agree. 
what would you get people to journal about then like do you have like a, a, a template or a layout or do you think it's it's just like whatever you want to write about write about um so it depends on the person obviously so like right. again as i said at the beginning for myself it was like i started off by just schedule mm. you know like that's all i did where now i have like this 30 minute 40 minute long <laughs> session of journaling in the morning yeah um it depends so i mentioned parts therapy earlier on and a part of that is being able to notice the different parts of yourself or the subpersonalities that exist within yourself that come up at certain times or generally when you're offended <laughs> or when somebody says something to you. Yeah. But that's kind of expressive journaling. Okay. So that's when I get people to, what well, I call unconscious journaling. You know, uh, there's loads of different names for it, but I call it unconscious journaling and it's, you get out and there's there's numerous ways of being able to do it. You know, like some people say, like, do it for a set amount of pages. Uh, some people say, like, you know, do it for a few minutes or whatever. I say just when I'm telling people how to do it, I say, get a uh, phone or your clock or something beside you and do 20 minutes right. and just write. You know, mm -hmm. whatever comes into your head. It could be, I don't know what to write. Write that down. That sounds stupid. Write that down and write down everything. Yeah. You, you will notice that where there's the what is initially thought of as the writer and the judge or the two guys, you know, they're saying yeah. like, oh, yeah, this would be nice. This That's nicely phrased. And then yeah. the other ones are like, oh, yeah, no, no, fix it like this. And you begin to notice that they're not the only two, you know, that there's other parts within you. There's that part within you that's really competitive, that's really annoyed about what this person said to you in the shop. And then there's this part of you that believes then that compassion and understanding should be the ethos of the world. Right, right, you know? okay. yeah, yeah. But you get to you get to know these parts, you get to understand them, and you get to to know how to be able to manage them. Mm -hmm. And that's really important, I think, when people are trying to maybe understand the relationship with alcohol or drugs or cigarettes or or even uh, with weight loss or even when it comes to anxiety and low mood, like I, I ask people to do this because it can heal you, you know, like, and I'm not saying it can completely heal you of anxiety no, or, I get that, yeah. or anything like this, but it, it helps to know yourself, you know, um, that you are being truthful, you know, like, and one of the other things in which I tell people not to do is, so you do it for 20 minutes. And the reason as to why you do it for so long is because, after 10 minutes, you aren't going to be writing empty platitudes anymore. You're going yeah. to be writing stuff that's going to surprise you, you know? Right, right. Okay. Um, second thing I tell people is be honest. Mm -hmm. Why the hell would you do it otherwise? You know, yeah. just be honest. I know it's hard. I know you might not want to be able to reread it, but guess what? Number three, don't reread it. Don't let anybody else reread it. So yeah. in a uh client situation i generally tell them to do it for 30 days then you can read it mm -hmm. um i'm working on a course at the moment for journaling right. where it's going to be 28 days long and it'll be filled with journal prompts and understanding how to build up a, a journaling practice and how to maintain it and then how you can go from like a very basic one and understanding what sort of journaling you need to be able to do, whether it's intention setting to do lists or uh, scheduling or just expression writing, you know? Um, so the idea is that in the unconscious journaling aspect is that you get to know more about yourself. And after you reread it for 30 days, you get to understand the story that you tell yourself. You get to understand what your perceived identity is and what is made up of it. You know, that's mm -hmm. not just this, this one person that this happens to right. that there's parts of you that need to be brought to the surface more and that's what kind of the point of it is to be honest yeah and from there then would you focus at all on self-talk or do you think that 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 comes into it at all because essentially that's what you're doing here it's like you're you're communicating to yourself in, in a way that lets your say the way you're doing it is like your unconscious come through and then the conscious you acknowledges is what they're saying so like you said, you're building up this narrative of what we tell ourselves we are or, you know, how we see ourselves. 
it's like do, do you then go forward and say well okay you're saying to yourself x that you, you know you can't do this or you shouldn't do this or you know that you're grateful for these things and you look forward to these things but like is that really the case like do you get people to then go and say well every time you say i don't know like when someone gives you a compliment and you just can't take it it's like do you do you get them to like i'm sure that's a big thing because like everyone's kind of like that right especially in ireland i assume yeah, i think that's just a really really irish thing yeah yeah um like would you get people to like learn to accept them and then maybe like you know say to yourself like oh i am i am this like you know kind of flip a negative into like a, a chance for opportunity or something and it's like oh i can't do this well okay maybe i can't do this now but i can learn to do x like i can maybe i don't want to run or i don't want to read a book say or something it's like well okay well, let's start reading one page and like just trying to tell yourself it's like okay i can't read a whole book in a day but maybe i could read one page like do you focus on that at all just like giving out random yeah examples? um because again it's it, it from my point of view it kind of relates to this, like the story we tell ourselves and in our heads this is how we're saying it. it's like we have these limited ideas that we entertain like these lim- limiting ideas of ourselves that we entertain like you said there's that there's that it's like the, the two aspects when it comes down or what basically when we start off we have this like two we have the us and the us that's our self-critic right so when we go to do something it's like oh i should do this and then you get battered down by yourself and it's the same you the thought of the idea but you're just kind of like you know you just get knocked <laughs> in the head by yourself you're like what what am i doing this for yeah and um, yeah so like minutely we deal with that in some cases so right. if there's a if there's a big limiting belief like kind of what i put forward towards people is that when we're trying to you know get towards the self or what Jung referred to as the self uh other people have different names for you know like soul daemon all this sort of stuff yeah the shadow or whatever if if you want to be able to do that the best way in order to do so is to venture into the unknown so that means then that you have a goal in mind you know like you wouldn't be here in front of me unless you had a goal in mind right so what is pertinent towards that goal? What do we need to be able to work towards? What are you holding yourself back from that you're maybe feel for, fearful of failure? Maybe you're fearful of the confrontation, maybe that, that's going into it as well. Um, we need to understand where we need to put most of our energy first. Because just the fact that you're not a morning person or you're not a big reader maybe won't impact you getting the goal as much as you think it would you know Mm -hmm. so what i try to get people to do is to use their energy to the best of their own ability so there's a couple of things in which i talk about so uh one of them is the five hour rule um and this always gets likened to benjamin franklin as well um i see it in like in things of it like subconscious reprogramming and I, I, I could be wrong in, in putting them in the, the subconscious uh, pre-programming which is like the you know you write something or you repeat something to yourself a couple of times before you go to sleep and then it'll oh, like be an affirmation. like mulled over in your subconscious as you sleep I'm not I'm not too sure on how on how efficient that is but the five hour rule is and I get this sometimes with uh, weight loss clients to do this because mm-hmm. Usually they're starting from a point where there's zero knowledge about what sort of food they should be putting into their system or or what sort of workouts work best for them or where they even want to work out, you know, how they want to work out. So the five hour rule is basically that you uh, dedicate one hour of each day. So Monday through Friday, for example, and you dedicate one hour each day to either, you know, working out or researching it or buying, uh, buying more food or researching more appropriate meals to be able to cook yourself or pre-planning them meals because as you said earlier on like if you are somebody that's in a hurried rush state in the morning that isn't all kind of like it's best to predetermine or prepare like yeah, what you're going to yeah, wear or do like so that you're not trying to do it in the morning when you're Man, kind I of in about, i have about four outfits i've got four outfits <laughs> consists of white t-shirt jeans and then some form of other shirt so like i'm, I'm sorted like I, I i can't handle any other <laughs> Like decisions in my life, you know what I mean? Got that Jeff Bezos, Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll have like the black turtleneck with the white, je- or with the black <laughs> blue jeans coming up, and uh, I'll settle looking like Steve Jobs for the rest of my life. Hmm. But um, so it's <laughs> sorry. Where were we? You were saying that um, it's good when you're feeling <laughs> rushed. People like the five hour rule, so you get people to research exactly for, yeah. for an hour. <laughs> so then you can either 
decide say on a Monday that you're going to spend 20 minutes researching what sort of workouts you want to be able to do 20 minutes of maybe like a Joe Wicks hit thing or and then 20 minutes of like eating some meal that will be helpful towards you or or high in protein that you want if you're doing something that involves weights you know Um, and that is because when you're first starting off doing something or, or interested in something so like if you're just trying to learn a new trade or if you're just beginning to meditate is the example i tend to use quite a bit yeah. that like your emotional state it'll go up and down like right. this yeah and when you're placing pride in doing something like maybe you've uh, maybe you have a certain amount of pride in that you don't believe that it's deserving of you to get something unless you work really hard at, you know? So like people that go like on ridiculous runs or to work out like three, four times a week initially, it's like, yeah, it's going to probably last two weeks, you know? (laughs) So I ask people to begin these habits slowly. Yeah. That's why I ask them to spend most of the time researching. Right. Okay. That makes sense. Because it also instills some confidence within you. Yeah. But the idea is that if you do, like put so much pride into it then after two weeks you're going to have this shame and guilt and it's just going to repeat a cycle of wanting to kind of uh, make yourself feel better so it isn't particularly useful so i get people to do the five hour thing because initially it'll be like this and you'll have good days and bad days but because you're doing the five hour rule it's not that it's oh i'm just back from work will i go and work out or will i go for this run or whatsoever it's like no i have this time already decided yeah. I know what I'm doing in this time period, regardless of how I feel. Right. Um, and what happens is you see it a lot in children in school where they might be interested in a subject or they might be not, not be interested in the mm. subject. So when it gets to the case of you've been working out for a while, it can either go like that <laughs> or right. it can go on the incline. Right, okay. And the same happens when you find a child that is really interested in a subject in school. They will work harder towards it and you will see the incline and you will see them reap the benefits of it after a while when they're really interested in it. Yeah. The same way in meditation that you see this happening the entire time, up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. But you stick at it. You stick at it and then after a while you get like 0.5 of a second where you feel like you're not touching anything or you don't feel as if that you're sitting on the chair or the pillow beneath you. And then as soon as you think of that, obviously yeah, you just, yeah. you're back. back in reality. Yeah. But that sort of experience then is what keeps you going. You know, that's when you actually start to realize, Oh wow, I've been acknowledging my thoughts. I've been different in situations that would have previously annoyed me. Mm. Oh wow. This is actually having so much benefit. And you get to see that then, within maybe weight loss or muscle building after that certain time period as well so that's why i get people to use the five hour rule uh, the other thing that i get them to do is what i call like the try ahead of eliminating negative emotion that sounds now, pretty positive i guess yeah you're not going to ever eliminate negative emotion but you yeah. can mitigate you it try. you can regulate it yeah just a catchy name but um it's based on three things that i've found to be the most helpful right in changing your perspective on things because it isn't that you dislike this person or that you have these feelings about working out or running or, or giving up smoking or whatsoever it isn't actually the object right how you see it being used you know mm-hmm. like you don't dislike this person because of the essence of their being you like them you dislike them because they said that snyder mark to you yeah, you know yeah right right and um, you don't like smoking and you never smoked because you were the parent that smoked, you know, like it's, it's these things that you're not looking at it objectively. You're looking at it for its essence. Yeah. So I found these things to be particularly helpful. So the first one being control, mm-hmm. you focus on the things that you are in complete control over. Yeah. In my mind, that's your thoughts and your actions. Right. Understand. So if you're worrying about something and you're feeling that it's like taking up 20 minutes of you sitting down, stagnant, idle, not moving, bring that through your head. Control. Do I have control over it? No. Then why am I worrying? And it's not just, you know, like that's not going to solve all your life's problems, but helps. Yeah. No, no. I'm glad you said that because like, it's done to cut you off. But um, no, no. when I first like got into all of that and stoicism and all that kind of thing, it was like, mm. 
you know, there's things that are within your control, like your thoughts and your actions, like he said. But then I came to realize to, after an extent that like my thoughts weren't always exactly in my control because like you, no. people can overthink. And it's like, I think one of the things that helps is to tell yourself, regardless whether you believe it or not, that it's outside of your control or that you don't have to attach so much of an opinion to the, to it, right? Because mm. like, if you look at anything that happens, like if you're like COVID for an example, because you know, everyone's mm. familiar with that. It's like when you're sitting there, you can process all this information and you can have an opinion on it by all means, but there's, there's no use. There's no utility in giving out about it. You know, there's like, there's no utility in trying to say what the government should or shouldn't do or what people should and shouldn't do and how people are and aren't acting. I mean, like at the end of the day, it is what it is. Mm. And I mean that in the most kind of empirical sense, like the things that have happened and that are happening are, have happened and are happening so there's nothing you can do unless you're a head of state to change it and you're not and i'm not saying that to be like you know um to like punch down or anything i'm saying that in terms of you have more important things to worry about that are within your control and in your immediate mm. say circle of reality which is yeah, exactly. where you should spend your time mm, exactly like have you done a random act of kindness today yeah to like small, that you small things you know small like things that's that way more in your control a hundred percent a hundred percent like small things that can compound and eventually create something good like you know whether it be journaling or whatever it's like there are certain things you can do right now that you could do should do and would do that would benefit you if you did them opposed like which can be contrasted to like you know sitting down and watching the news and complaining about everything you see on it because ultimately that's the response that it's gonna that it's gonna evoke in you Mm. I mean, it's as it's like I said earlier on, like it's it's the interdependence of all things. Yeah. That if you are better, the people around you will be better because you are. Yeah. But there will be more joy. There'll be more compassion and understanding if you are them things with the people around you. It's no secret that there's a lot of people who have said the idea that you are the amalgamation of the five people that you hang around with the most. Yeah. No, there's a reason for it. Yeah. <laughs> imitation yeah yeah yeah. no and it's like learned behavior as well it's like if you're Mm. around like five amazing people that uh what i say incorporate the five aspects or personality traits that you want to have it's like then by all means surround yourself with them and i think that you can say that like who lives in a in like leash or somewhere that's like you know it has those traits but like you can look online and like expose yourself to those people that's what i found really helpful Mm. yeah i mean what were you saying about the the second pillar they're the second thing um, it would be amor fatty ah, ah. Uh, love of fate yeah so i get people to understand the love of fate or uh to the best of their own ability so i should preface this in saying that when i'm speaking to people about amor fatty or or detaching from the outcome of, of some things or mm-hmm. you do this to the best of your own ability and the right. same with control because control isn't going to be a dictum that snaps in your head like that it's going to be something that you learn from because the idea in it is to help you understand that you don't perceive something at face value you perceive what your limitations beliefs fears all of these things that that, uh, limit your awareness want you to see and then you you put that feeling into the object or the person or the situation Mm -hmm. So that's the, you do it to the best of your own ability for these things because, well, you don't want to beat yourself up in trying to help yourself. Right. So with Amor Fatty, it's, something's already occurred. Right. You can't change it, but you can change how you want to look at it. Now, I get quite the morbid idea because I I use, I use time and I, I tell people there's a finite amount of time in which you have and I use it as a motivator for myself. But the only reason as to why it is morbid is because we have this idea in our society that debt isn't like it's a debt. Yeah. Whereas I'm not sure. Maybe it's that we don't in Western culture, Western society, we don't have what was called like that archetypal person for the old age, except if you look for like the wise man or the guru or wise old man. But right. um, 
Whereas yeah, I mean, least you're saying that's going to be like a lot more respected. It's like when when you think of like China or anywhere in Asia, it's like they always respect their elders. And you think that's where that comes from? It's like someone who's approaching death is someone to be respected almost. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So you know, China is very interesting in that regard. Hmm. Very interesting because even if say there's a Chinese father that did something awful, that his son separated from him and were to have a family and all this and not let the father see him. The right. father wouldn't be able to apologize because he still has under his culture, he would still have to have the son right. or uh, reconcile in order for him to be able to say it. But uh, that doesn't mean that you can't, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's a that's an old story from a Dale Carnegie book. But uh, that's yeah, very interesting. But um, no, I, maybe it's that like Jesus died in like his thirties, and uh, we don't have anything then to guide us towards what we should be in our latter stages of life. So we have this idea that we should accumulate wealth and material goods and live the best life, and completely ignore this that spiritual aspect of ourselves, but the one in which we tend to reflect on when we hit our 40s 50s and mm. um, so it's kind of like switch for some people but it's, in, it's interesting and um, i'm not sure as to why but that's my best guess that we don't have in western culture uh, or myth this idea of how we should act in old age whereas as you pointed out the east they're quite respected mm-hmm. um so for Amor Fati, it's just kind of like, yeah, just, I mean, you can't change what's happened. And right. the point in being is that time in the past is already with debt. Like, it's not that it's just your past. It's with debt. Like, there's no going back to it. Your memories are changed each time that you look back to them, dependent upon your emotional state. Like, yeah. them past memories are in the past. So, like, leave them there. Um, and, of course, that's hard. I mean, the the initial things in which you hear is how do you how do you do that with the death of a loved one? How do you do that with some tragic case or something? Yeah, I mean, like, that's that's not an easy thing to do, you know. Like when someone dies, it, obviously everyone everyone likes to think that they'd be able to handle things in the most kind of say competent way that they could. But it's, it's it depends on I, I suppose how close you are with that person or, or what the case is, but you're still going to be shaken by it. And I think the, the what everything that you're saying to do makes sense in terms of acting as like a preventative measure so that you're not so distraught when these things do happen that you're useless to everyone around you, I suppose. But you is don't want to be, you know? Yeah, no, no, you want to be you want to be someone that like, you know, gets things done and helps out as much as you can like in that in that circle that that, that is your family or your friends. Like you want to be the one that helps out and tries to get everyone organized and sorted out. You know, whilst also mm. having this solidarity with people around you in terms of mourning whoever it is, you know? Yeah. Like, like you, you want to be competent enough to be able to help out, but you don't want to be emotionally unstable enough that you argue with somebody the first time that they say something to you afterwards. 100%. Or that you get too drunk at the wake and then you make enemies of all your friends. You know what I mean? You want to be someone who's yeah. like stable enough to, to like, I don't know, read, read a eulogy and get through it and maybe comfort the people around you. And I think everything you're saying in terms of looking after yourself and dealing with these negative emotions and embracing Amor Fadi and journaling and trying to keep an eye on yourself in, in I'm not saying that's the end goal is to try and like, you know, be a Paul there, but it, it helps dealing with those situations that are complicated and that we'd rather not face, but have to. Yeah. I mean, they, they give you hints yeah. is how I see it. Like if you look at emotions, I think of them as symbols because they're they're hints towards what you should spend more time looking at you know um i i look at things from when when, when dealing with clients like i look at from a value point of of view or or i look at from a perceptual so after perception you come into what action takes place and then the action then determines the belief Mm. that belief then is where you get value you know you don't you don't change your actions in order to achieve something unless you believe it to be worth you know changing your actions for so dependent on maybe you want to be better at you know uh, dealing with debt mm. uh can't remember there's actually a name for the fear of debt and phobia i can't think of it at the moment but um 
you want to understand what belief there is behind that. So the value in being that you want to be able to deal better with that. Right. And then the, the belief then is, is generally where there's some irrationality in place. Uh, so you have to understand where that irrationality is from, and then you get them to maybe deal with that. Um, so in hypnotherapy, I generally get people to watch it, watch it unfold, um, watch an event unfold, and then have them be able to freeze time. And it's it's a completely like autoscopic hallucination. So it's like an out of body experience in which oh, you're right. watching. Yeah. And then you find that another person is watching and that's you, but it's the person in which you want to be. So right. you have a conversation with them as a completely unencumbered conversation away from your conscious egotistical self. Um, that can really help people in times like that, but that's what's able then to change the belief that dialogue with yourself. So then, okay, well, what are the actions then that you need to do? You know, you like, you need to be able to, like one of the things in which I speak about a lot is that that is a motif in all things. So I'm, I'm really big into media. I love films. I love TV and things mm -hmm. like this. So you need to be able to watch for that debt and rebirth. You need right. to think of yourself as a Phoenix, you know, that's lying there with all of its like feathers withered and ready to like be reborn as a better person. Yeah. And sometimes these symbols or emotions are what's hinting at you to do it. Um, and then uh, to put a positive <laughs> the positive that, number like, oh. three is impermanence of all things to see the impermanence of things right. but everything is temporary so that plays in with the idea of valuing your own time and able to uh, use your actions to better you because a lot of it is unconscious habitual patterns mm -hmm. that we put ourselves in to be able to remain stable and orderly which is good as you've put it earlier on you can't have too much chaos ruining your life mm. but it's a it's important what you think about when you're doing them things you know like if generally you are giving out about how you have to go to work whilst you're making your coffee it's not going to do well for your emotional state that's right. you know but if you repeat a mantra or affirmation whilst you're brushing your teeth whilst you're making your bed whilst you're doing other things it can help you you know it can build it can build parts of you that are otherwise left alone yeah that's fair um i personally use uh mine as my computer passwords <laughs> that helps me uh yeah um but no I, I couldn't agree more man and i think that's that's a a good kind of structure to have for someone who, who needs it you know especially if you're trying to help someone that that might just i don't know be suffering from like a forget midlife crisis like an existential crisis of any sort mm. of kind of warrants a, a good kind of a um, structure and a good kind of order around it so that you can actually cope with life because it's not always that easy to do for mm. want of a better phrase that's certainly true but um Karen, yeah listen i mean that was phenomenal i don't know how long it was because i can't tell but um, <laughs> i'm not sure <laughs> yeah but that was a really really good conversation i thoroughly enjoyed it man and uh as soon as all this nonsense is over we'll grab a coffee and i'll have you on again Flat. how does that sound it's fantastic Sounds great. So where can people find you and what should they do about it? So you can find me on Facebook or Instagram at Thatcher's Therapy Practice. Um, either way, just message page if you want to have a chat, maybe if you want to learn a little bit more about hypnosis or any of the techniques that are used, or maybe you want to understand what mind coaching is about and how you can then use that to be able to achieve your goals. Um, but there's also kind of you can just uh, book a call in. I do all consultation calls free, regardless of where you are, um, and all kind of therapy for the next foreseeable future will be over Zoom. So if you're interested or you want to be able to deal with some thing, or maybe you just want to become a better you, get in contact. Amazing, phenomenal chat. I appreciate it. That no, was really good, man. Really enjoyed it. Me too. <laughs>